Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Nehemiah chapter 6. When you have it, won't you say, I've got it? Amen. If you don't have it, we have it on the screen for you. Hear the word of the Lord. Thank you, praise team. Nehemiah chapter 6. Hallelujah. Beginning at verse number one. Now, when it was reported to Sandalit, Tobiah, and to Geshem, the Arab, the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, come, let us meet together at Sepharim, the plain of Onah. But they were planning to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And so they sent messengers to me four times in this manner. And I answered them in the same way. Verse 3 again says, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject before I let go. Amen. (laughs) I think I got a witness, old school witness in the house. (laughs) You make me happy. Y'all know that? Okay. Amen. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm learning that the difference between people who accomplish great things for God and people who do not is not their skill. It is not their talent. It isn't their vision. It isn't that they don't have the right team or the right connections. But oftentimes, What hinders our ability to accomplish the work that God has called us to is our inability to remain focused. You can have a great team. You can have a great plan. You can have all the money you need. But if you release your focus, you will sacrifice your success because success in God's work is not based on our skills or the gifts we believe we bring to God's table. But it's based entirely on our ability to say yes to God's assignment. And in the midst of adversity, no matter what happens, still hold on to our yes. The problem is the devil understands that our success in the work of God is based entirely on our ability to stay focused on the work of God. So the devil uses distraction and doubt to rob us of our focus so that he can rob us of our destiny. As a matter of fact, the devil knows that when God has called us to do a work, And we in obedience say yes and commit to the work. There is no attack. There is no adversity. There is no danger. There is no disease. There is no death that can stop us from being who it is that God has called us to be. As a matter of fact, even if we get crazy and decide to disengage from God's work, 
It won't stop the work from being done because even in spite of the inconsistencies of all of our character, God is still faithful to do just what he said. The reality is God doesn't need us to do his work, but there is a blessing that comes to us when we yield ourselves as willing participants in God's work. And the goal of the enemy is to prevent us from experiencing the blessing of God's work by using the distractions of life to make us let go of our focus and disengage from God's assignment. As a matter of fact, whether you know it or not, beloved, that's why you're having trouble in your money, in your marriage, in your mind. It's not because the devil is after your stuff, but the devil is coming after your stuff in an attempt to get you to let go of your focus. Many of us don't even realize that what we are fighting against, uh, that what we're fighting against is not because of uh, outside things, but it's because of our internal sinful nature. Because of our internal nature, our loyalties, beloved, are naturally divided between the things we feel are important and the work that God has actually called us to. Let me say that again. Because of our sinful nature, our loyalties are naturally divided between the things we think are important and the work that God has called us to. And because of that divided loyalty, we often find ourselves drawn away from our assignment by things that have nothing to do with our assignment. As a matter of fact, it almost seems as if before I got to the place of my assignment and I knew what God was calling me to do, my life was at peace. I was actually kind of bored, uh, working, trying to find something to do. Uh, but now that I'm working for God, it seems like my life is bombarded with all kinds of distractions. Is anybody going to tell the truth? Is there anybody here who's honest enough to admit that although it may seem like I've got it all together, I'm fighting every day to stay focused on God's assignment because I'm dealing with distractions. Okay, I know people don't want to be honest. Y'all don't want to tell the truth in church. But the truth of the matter is no one feels like serving God all the time. No one feels like doing what's right all the time. No one feels like staying focused 100% of the time. And the reality is Satan will use distractions to try to get us away from the place where God is calling us to be. And the reality of our lives, beloved, is that at some point all of us are going to have to deal with distractions. Somebody say distractions. Things that are sent by the devil to make us disengage from the work that we've been called to. If we're truly called by God, there will always be some kind of satanic interruption, some kind of adversity, some kind of unrelated opportunity that tries to pull us away from the place of our purpose so that we can't complete what we've been called to. But when God calls us to a work, beloved, God does not simply call us to start the work, but he calls us to see that work through to its completion and the completion of God's work requires our unwavering focus on God's work I'm gonna say that one more time completion of God's work requires our unwavering focus on God's work and if we'd be honest it's hard to hold on to our focus in the middle of hell and high water isn't it it is hard to stay the course in seasons when it seems like the world is caving in on us and it's no longer convenient to be committed because it feels like everyone and everything Thing is vying for our attention but if we belong to God because of Jesus and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost as brother Herman calls them we have the ability to ignore the distractions of life maintain our focus 
and finish our assignment. God help me. The reality of our lives is that the battles we face, beloved, they might involve our finances. They might involve our relationships. They might involve our families. The devil might be sending frustration on our jobs and attacking our mental health. But even though that might be the battleground, the war is for our focus. Somebody say focus. And the enemy does not have the power to take your focus from you. The only way that you can lose it is by making the conscious decision to let it go. And if we're going to fulfill God's assignment and have good success, because how many of y'all don't just want success, you want good success. You want the kind of success that God will bless. Not the kind of success that you got to give yourself and keep yourself, but the kind of success that God will put on autopilot and cause everywhere the soles of your foot tread to be a blessing. That's the kind of success we want. And if we want that success, then we have to decide that yes, this season has caused us to let go of some of our peace. It's caused us to let go of some people. We've had to let go of some opportunities that we fought before us. And it feels like we don't have much left to give. But we've got to declare that no matter what we've got to let go of, I'll let go of everything else before I let go of my focus. Am I talking to anybody in the building? If we truly desire to have God's best for our lives, then we have to understand that God's best is only released when we are obedient to God's will. God's best is only released when we are obedient to God's will. And God's will for each of us is that we complete the work that he has called us to. And the completion of God's work, once again, requires unwavering focus on God's work. And if we'd be honest, we'd have to admit that it's hard to hold on our onto our focus when life and the world and the devil are fighting to pull us away from the things that God has called us to. As a matter of fact, oftentimes we are distracted because of our inability, hear me, to discern that every good work is not a God work. Yeah, every good work is not a God work. You've heard that before, right? You've heard that the good things are not always God things. I think that's kind of elementary, right? But, but, but also, we're deceived. Here's a second level of deception because we know that everything that's good ain't God, right? Uh, but here's a second level for mature believers. Uh, everything that's good is not God, but every God work is not God's work for you. And, and the truth is, many of us have been lured out of position because Satan has tricked us into becoming captivated with the pursuit of works that are godly but are not what God has called each of us to. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We, 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 we are out of position because we're pursuing things with God's name on it that God has not given us the measure of faith grace, anointing, and maturity to be able to handle. And just because God's called somebody else to it and you liked watching them work in it, that doesn't mean that it's what God has called you to do. Oh, I know y'all ain't going to like this. Y'all ain't going to like it. But, but, but the truth of the matter is every God work is not God's assignment for you. Yeah, yeah. So how do I know then, Bishop, uh, that I'm in my assignment? I'm so very glad you asked. First of all, you'll know if you're in your assignment, if you're taking notes, is uh, uh, because I'll have the proper dispensation. Everybody say dispensation. 
yeah, I'll have the proper dispensation if I'm in my assignment. What does that mean, Bishop? That means that you will have the proper amount of grace to be able to handle the assignment that God has given you. Because the truth of the matter is, it's not a matter of talent. It's not a matter of gifting. It's a matter of grace. Because grace picks up when talent and gifting don't show up. God, help me. Uh, there, there were some struggles, God, help me, that your talent and your gift and your finesse and your anointing or in your uh, uh, your charisma, rather, will not help you get through. But the anointing of God is what makes the difference when you don't have enough, when you don't have enough gift, when you don't have enough talent, when you don't have the right connections. Grace will step in and help you when you can't help yourself. Somebody say, if it's my assignment, I'll have the right dispensation. But not only will God give me the right dispensation if I'm in my assignment, beloved, God will give me the proper association. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, I'm going to have the right circle. I'm, I'm going to have the right people around me. I'm not going to have uh, people around me. I'm not going to be the only one in my circle that's trying to please God. I'm not try I'm going to be the only one in my circle that's trying to live holy. I'm not going to be the only one in my circle that's trying to adjust my spending habits so that I can be more generous in the kingdom of God. God is not going to call me to something and send me out there by myself. And I can tell you that many of you are not on assignment because you don't have the right circle. God, help me. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, if, if you were on the right, if you were headed towards the right purpose, God would connect you to the right people. Because although your yes is individual, your assignment has to be lived out in community. Yeah. You have to say yes by yourself, but you don't walk yes by yourself. God, help me. Only you can say yes for you. But you need some people with you, God, help me, that are going to help you say yes. And God says if you don't have the right support, if you don't have the right help, then it may not be your season. You may need to wait until God brings the right folk around you to get you to the place he's calling you to be. You need to wait until he puts you in the right church, until he puts you with the right friends, until he puts you with the right mentor, until he puts you with the right people who are going to make deposits and not withdrawals in your life. Yeah. Yeah, if it's my assignment, I'm going to have the right dispensation. I'm going to have the proper association. But then, uh, not only will I have the right dispensation and the right association, I'll have divine confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, this one, y'all going to put me out the church I started right here. This this, this going to be the first church, folks. Y'all going to put me out. I see they're going to put me out. Uh, because we feel like we're the only ones that need to say yes. Yeah, we, we feel like we're the only ones that need to decide we're gifted. We're the only ones that need to decide that we're anointed. We're the only ones that need to decide we're ready. And when we decide we're ready, it's time for us to walk into that thing that we think we've been called to. Oh, God. Oh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, that's not what the church has taught from generation to generation. As a matter of fact, that is why you have to be covered. Now, uh, and, and next month, y'all are going to meet my covering. He's a wonderful man of God, Bishop Glenn Livingston out of Orlando, Florida. He's my covering. I was talking to him for two hours uh, the other day, and I was telling him everything that we're doing, not because I'm not grown and not because I'm not a bishop myself and not because I don't have churches and pastors that I cover, but because if you want people to submit to you, you got to submit to somebody because you reap what you sow. And so I'm running stuff by Bishop Livingston not because I need his permission, but because God will speak to the person he's called to speak to for you. If you're called to do something, God help me, God will speak to the person who is assigned to speak to you. If you are submitted, hear me, and you have a calling on your life, and you have an assignment, it's not going to be a surprise to your covering. 
Now, whether they're honest or not about what God has told them is a completely different matter. But if you can't trust them to tell the truth, you shouldn't be there anyhow. If you are submitted to a man or a woman of God, then when you have a calling on your life, God, help me. Oh, God. Uh, it's not going to be a surprise to them. As a matter of fact, Paul presents this for us in the book of Acts. Uh, the Bible said that the church at Antioch was in prayer, and the Spirit said to the elders at Antioch, not to Paul and Barnabas, but he said to the elders, set aside for us Paul and Barnabas. Okay. Uh, and the problem is many of us want to send ourselves, and that's why we're unprepared. But if you're the only person that thinks you're anointed or the people that like you or the people that you have uh, private meetings with are the only people that think you're graced for it, you're probably not graced for it. Because God will send confirmation from someplace. Yeah, yeah, you got to have divine confirmation. Yeah, and you can't go out here uncovered. Uh, because if you don't go out there covered, if you go out there uncovered, you've got to reap, Galatians 6, what you sow. Oh, God, I, I can be honest. I won't tell y'all business. I'll tell mine so y'all won't think I'm in the pulpit preaching about you. Some of the stuff that I'm reaping now, oh, God, is because of seeds that I sowed when I was immature and unstable. And so now that I'm mature and stable, I still got to deal with the fruit of things that I served because I've been doing this since I was 15 years old. It's a lot of growing up I had to do, a lot of learning I had to do, a lot of leaders I offended, a lot of people I disobeyed, a lot of stuff that I rebelled against because I thought I was too anointed for the person that was covering me. And because I thought I was too anointed for the person that was covering me, I sowed the wind. But now that I'm a bishop, I'm reaping the whirlwind. Yeah, because you reap what you sow. And you need to be glad when you have a covering that will tell you, don't do this, don't go there, you're not ready, stop, wait, because they're trying to keep you from having to reap something that might kill you in the future. Yeah, uh, because although you reap uh, what you sow, uh, you might not reap it where you sow it. Yeah. Yeah. And you might not be able to handle the reaping the way someone else is. I, I'm a firm believer, uh, Pastor Chris, that there were some things uh, that God allowed me to live through that would have killed other people because he knew that there was a calling on my life. And some of you look at your covering. And see, if they made it, I'll be able to make it. If they went through it, I'll be able to go through it. But if you don't have the grace on your life that they have, you can't go through what they went through. Sometimes they're trying to stop you because they know what made them hurt will actually take your life. Because one of the biggest problems with Christians now is we know how to inflict pain, but we can't take it. Yeah, we, we, we want to speak harsh truth, but we can't take harsh truth. We want to indict leadership, but we don't want leadership to indict us based on our fellowship. God, help me heal the building. And the truth of the matter is, if you're on God's assignment, you will have divine confirmation from the person you are covered by. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, so we got to discern whether or not we're in the place of our assignment. And once we're in the place of our assignment, we have to decide that no matter what happens, we're going to hold on to our focus, and we're not going to let go. Somebody say, I'm not letting go. Yeah, and there are two things, beloved, if you're taking notes, take notes today. I promise I got some good stuff for you. If you're taking notes, there are two things that make us want to abandon our focus. Uh, and those two things are commotion. Somebody say commotion. And emotion. Yeah. Say commotion. And emotion. Yeah, and you got to decide, beloved, that I'm not going to let go because of commotion. 
God, help me. Yeah. And commotion, what is commotion, Bishop? Uh, commotion is the adversity surrounding my assignment. Yeah, because if the assignment has truly been given by God, it will be fiercely opposed by the devil. Because the intensity of the attack is directly connected to the enormity of my assignment. Okay, uh, let me say that again. Uh, the intensity of the attack is directly connected to the enormity of your assignment. Okay, uh, let, let me say it this way. Uh, the attack is great because the devil knows that your purpose is great. Great attack means great assignment. So that means that when I'm being attacked, I should stop tripping about being attacked and learn how to shout while I'm being attacked because the attack is just an indication of where I'm going. God, help me. Oh, God. That's why you should not ask for God to anoint you greatly unless you're ready to be hurt severely. God, help me. Unless you're ready to go through money problems and marriage problems and mental stress and deal with anxiety and be back and forth in the hospital and have to deal with crazy folk that tell you crazy things when you're trying to have faith and believe God. Don't ask God to bless you greatly if you can't handle being hurt severely because the attack is an indicator of where you're going. Uh, so you got to say, I won't let go because of commotion. But not only will I not let go because of commotion, I'm not going to let go because of emotion. Yeah, yeah I'm not going to let go because of emotion. What do you mean, Bishop? I mean, I'm not going to let go because of the way I feel about the assignment. Because God didn't call me to feel good about the assignment. He called me to complete the assignment. God, help me here. I, I want to help a pastor now because there are pastors out there under the sound of my voice watching us online who feel like uh, it's time for you to leave your church or shut down your church because you no longer like your church and you don't like the people that you called to. And the people that said, Rev, we got your back, they turned out to be crazy. But God didn't call you to commit to them because of your feelings. God called you to commit to them because he called you to commit to them. God, help me. And the true test of faithfulness doesn't happen when the assignment feels good. But the true test of faithfulness comes when we have to keep saying yes to the assignment when the feelings I had when I first said yes have gone away. God, help me. Oh, God. Uh, am I able to remain committed when the feelings about what I am called to or who I am called to have changed? Because huh. sometimes I don't feel crazy or bad about what I'm called to do. I feel bad about who I'm called to do it for or who I'm called to do it with. Oh, uh, God, uh, who I'm called, here it is, to do it under. Yeah. Uh, because sometimes God doesn't call you to be in charge. Sometimes God calls you to be in authority, under authority. And what Satan does to get you out of the place of your assignment is to change the way you feel about the person that he's called you to. Because he thinks that if he changes the way you feel about the person he's called you to, it'll cause you and your immaturity to disengage from the assignment of God on your life. But God doesn't call you to be faithful based on feelings. Because if you're only faithful when you feel like being faithful, you're not really faithful at all. Come on, married folk. Uh, what if your spouse said, I cheated because I didn't feel like being faithful anymore? And you got to watch out. Single people who want to get married, people who are married, watch out for folk uh, who change faithfulness based on feeling. God, help me. Uh, you don't want to marry a person that disengages from covenant because they no longer like the way covenant feels. Because if they'll do it in their church, they'll do it in their house, they'll do it in their marriage, they'll do it with their money. you got to stay committed even when you feel don't feel like it, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, when you're acting crazy and when you're not so 
crazy. When you're keeping me up at night for a good reason and when you're keeping me up at night for a bad reason. I got to stay committed because commitment is based on character, not on convenience. Oh, God. And some of us want to sacrifice commitment when it's no longer convenient because God is exposing to us a flaw in our character. Oh, God, can I push it a little bit further? Uh, some of us are going to have to answer to God for decisions that we made. Oh, God, not because we were on assignment, but because we were in our feelings. God, help me. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, oh. You're going to have to answer for the things you did and for the choices you made, not because you were on assignment, God help me, uh, but because you were in your feelings. Uh, because feelings, come on somebody, feelings will change. Oh God, feelings will go up and they'll go down. And you'll make a permanent decision uh, and have permanent consequences based on temporary feelings. But then you'll still have to live with the decision that you made when the feelings have gone away. Oh, God, some of us got children like that uh, because we did stuff based on feeling. God, help me. Uh, some of us have been divorced because of that because we made decisions based on feeling. Some of us got bad credit because of that because we made purchases based on feelings. But feeling is temporary and assignment is eternal. So I can't make a decision based on my feelings because feelings will fade. But the blessing of me completing my assignment is going to last forever. Uh, I can't let go because of commotion. I can't let go because of emotion. And when God calls us to do a work, he doesn't simply call us to start the work, beloved. But he calls us to see the work through to its completion. And the completion of God's work requires our unwavering focus on God's work. And it may be hard, it may be frustrating, it may even seem overwhelming, but we have to decide that no matter what happens, we're not going to let go of our focus. And whether you know it or not, beloved, this is the lesson being taught to us by Nehemiah chapter 6. The Bible lets us know by way of context that Nehemiah and his people had started a project that they did not have the capacity to complete. God had called them as slaves to leave Persian captivity and return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because they had been torn down and burned with fire. And the Bible says that because the hand of the Lord was on them, even though they were unqualified and unprepared, uh, the Bible says that they were making progress that didn't make sense to their enemies. And because their enemies could not handle the fact that in spite of their efforts to halt and to hinder the work, the wall was still being built. They concocted a plan to murder the leader, Nehemiah. And the Bible says that when Nehemiah's enemies, Tobiah, Sanballat, and Geshem heard about the progress that the people of God were making, they sent messengers to Nehemiah requesting a meeting. Let me pause there parenthetically and insert this view. Uh, be careful when you're close and people who never wanted to meet want to set up meetings. God help me. Uh, 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 be careful uh, when you're focused on purpose. And now all of a sudden, folk that didn't have nothing to say when you were moving got a whole bunch of stuff to say. Got a whole bunch of input. Uh, folk that didn't have nothing to say until you taught them, didn't know what to do until you showed them. But now they want to have meetings with you and tell you what you should do. The devil is a liar. The devil will always try to distract you by calling a meeting when you're almost there. And the Bible says that Nehemiah was wise as a leader. And instead of accepting the invitation to the meeting, he tells his enemies 
I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. God, help me. Yeah, he, he says, I know that you're talking about me. I know that you're plotting against me. I know that you're criticizing me. But Nehemiah made up in his mind that he was going to stay on the wall and refuse to let go of his focus. And in Nehemiah's response to his enemies, beloved, I believe that God reveals to us two things that we need to remember before we let go. Yeah, but before we let go of our focus, there are two things that God wants us to remember. I got two and I'm through. Here it is. Number one, I can't let go. Here it is. Because I didn't get here by myself or for myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't let go because I didn't get here, Brother Herman, by myself or for myself. Yeah. Uh, Nehemiah says this. Look at, look at verse three. He says this. He says, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. It doesn't say I'm doing a work. It doesn't say I'm working on something. He, he, he qualifies the work by saying I am doing a great work. He's not just saying that it is great in terms of its importance. He's talking about the scope of the work. When he says that it is great, he is emphasizing that the work that he is doing is bigger than him. And, and the truth is, we don't want to admit it, but deep on the inside, we are selfish and self-centered creatures. And because we're selfish and self-centered creatures, we often find ourselves focused on ourselves, even when we know that if we're Christian, our lives are not our own. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, 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 we tend to do what's best for us, to move in a way that makes us feel good, even though we know that ain't what God wants us to do. Uh, because on the inside, we are self-centered. But maybe the grace of God is allowing us to experience frustration in our feelings and adversity in our assignment while giving us the grace to endure it so that we can grow to the place where we're delivered from the bondage of self-centered service. Because many of us attach ourselves to a mission, not because we believe in the mission, but we believe in what the mission can do for us. And then when we find out that the mission can't do for us what we thought it could do for us, then we want to disengage from the mission. That's why you got a lot of leaders who are hurt because they had people who told them they were with them. And then when it was time for them to put their feet to the pavement or hold their feet to the fire, they left you. God, help me. Uh, they walked away from you. It's because people don't always connect to you because they believe in what God has called you to. They believe in you and what you can do for them. And then when you don't give them what they want, they want to leave and talk about you. The, the truth of the matter is we got to remember then that we can't disengage from the work because we didn't get here by ourselves or for ourselves. What does that mean? Bishop, uh, I didn't get here by myself. I didn't make it on my own. Uh, but I'm here, Nehemiah teaches us, because God has made an investment in me. God, help me. Uh, uh, I learned, I worked in banking for a little while. Me and my wife both did at the same bank. Uh, she stayed in the field a little bit longer than me because uh, she was better at it. She's better with money than I am. Uh, but while I was there uh, working at the bank, Pam, I found out that there is a difference between a deposit and an investment. 
there, there was a difference. As a matter of fact, they're different. They're even insured differently by the government. Uh, the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Company, insures your deposits, uh, but your investments are not insured. And that is because when I make a deposit, there is no expectation of return. There is, just an, there is just an expectation that when I go to the bank, if I haven't occurred any fees and I have not made any purchases, what I put in the bank will be there when I come back to get it. Yeah, that's a deposit. The difference between a deposit and an investment is when I make an investment, I expect a return on that investment. So notice I did not say that God, beloved, has made a deposit into you. Because if God made a deposit into you, then he would expect you to stay the same. But when I say God has made an investment in you, God help me, God is expecting you to take what he's deposited in you and grow it and mature it for his glory. That's why I can't disengage from the assignment. God help me. Uh, because the adversity that I'm facing in my assignment actually helps to mature God's investment. God help me. Oh God, as a matter of fact, I learned in investments that the larger the risk, the greater the return. And that's why God has called you to a risky assignment. That's why God has called you to things that don't make sense. Because he wants you to take what he's put on the inside of you and grow it for his glory. Yeah, I didn't get here by myself. God's made an investment in me. But not only has God made an investment in me, I didn't get here for myself. Which means that the investment that God made in me was not for me. It was for the good of his people. Oh, come here, gifted folk. Let me preach to you for a little while. You think that God gave you your gift for the purpose of self-promotion. You think that God gave you your gift so that you could um, write a book and host a conference and show folk how great you are and, and coach people and do all this wonderful stuff. And that's cool. If that's you and your calling, do that, run that, knock yourself out. But the truth of the matter is you got to remember that it's not about you. It's about him. When God puts something on the inside of you, he doesn't do it for self-aggrandizement. He does it so that you can point people to him. And maybe the reason why you have not been promoted yet is because God knows he can't trust you with the spotlight. Yeah, God, God does not have a problem with you getting the spotlight. Yeah. Oh, you, you don't believe me. Uh, but Genesis chapter 10, we see the Abrahamic blessing. He tells Abraham, and in blessing, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And through you shall all the people of the earth be blessed. He continued that same blessing with Isaac and with Jacob. I'm going to make your name why did God make their names great? Because God knew that people were not familiar with him, and they were going to need an introduction to him. So when he needed to introduce himself to a man by the name of Moses through the vehicle of a burning bush, Moses did not know God, but he knew Abraham. Moses didn't know God, but he knew Isaac. He didn't know God, but he knew Jacob. And so God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God makes your name great. So that when you stand in the spotlight, you don't point to yourself, but you point to the greatness of your God. And maybe the reason why God ain't made your name great is because all you care about is your name. God, help me. All you care about is your brand. All, all you care about is your moment. All you care about is your stuff. But God says, if I can trust you to be promoted, God, help me. Oh, because when you're promoted, you'll promote me. Then I ain't got no problem letting you have the spotlight. Because ain't no light greater than me. God, help me. No matter how big you get, I'm still greater than you. But if I can't trust you to point people to me, then I can't promote you. 
That's why some of us are gifted and unseen. We got a voice, but we're unheard. Oh, God, we got something to say, but won't nobody let us speak because God is protecting you from self-centeredness. Because you can't recover from that. That's what killed the devil. Oh, that's what got the devil demoted. He, he wanted to promote himself at the expense of his master. And because he ex promoted himself at the expense of his master, he was demoted and never allowed to be promoted again. God says, you got to remember, you didn't get here for yourself or by yourself. But number two... Before I let go, I need to remember, and I'm done now, <coughs> I can't let go because my enemies, hear me, my enemies' frustration with me is a sign that they've finally gotten a proper revelation of me. Hear me. I can't let go because my enemies' frustration with me is a sign, Tiffany, that they've finally gotten a proper revelation of me. Look at the text, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, and I'm done. He says, now when it was reported, stop right there. They're attacking because they heard something about Nehemiah. God, help me. Oh, God. Oh, the enemy is coming after him. Oh, God. Because they heard something about Nehemiah. Let me help you. Uh, Satan, I, I know all the time, y'all even hear me say it around here, the devil is devil. Uh, and, and I mean that facetiously. But the truth of the matter is, Satan is a wise adversary. That's why so many of y'all get fooled by the devil. Uh, yeah, and in his wisdom as an adversary, uh, he doesn't attack people who aren't worth attacking. I'm coming for you. Wait a minute. Uh, as a matter of fact, because the devil is limited in his power, he is not omnipotent. And because he is limited in his presence, he is not omnipresent. Satan can't be attacking everybody. As a matter of fact, even his minions, his demons are limited because Isaiah put a number on them. He said that Satan only took a third of the heavenly host. So Satan is limited in his power, he's limited in his presence, and he's limited in his people. So he can't attack everybody. As a matter of fact, I suggest that a lot of the stuff we blame on the devil is actually the fruit of our sin and our poor decisions. Yeah, I was telling somebody the other week, I was telling somebody the other week, Pam, a uh, matter of fact, last week I was telling them uh, that the stuff that's coming against me is so stupid uh, that I can't even attribute it to the devil. Matter of fact, I think, I, I really think this, this is for real. Uh, I think that if I was to go to some of the people that are getting on my nerves right now, Jay, and I tried to cast the devil out of them, Lucifer would tap me on the shoulder. Hey, Doc, uh, uh, don't want to interrupt your prayer, um, but that over there, that ain't me. This, this, this health stuff over here, this, this money stuff over here, uh, this church stuff over here, that's me. Yeah, I'm messing with your marriage and your mind and your mentality, uh, but that right there ain't got nothing to do with us. Matter of fact, I'm on your side. They're crazy. Uh, because we're blaming the devil for a lot of the stuff that ain't really him. It is our immaturity. It is our foolishness. It is our inconsistency. It is our lack of character. 
And God said, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed, time, and harvest. You always going to reap what you sow. But if the devil is really attacking you, if he's really coming against you, if you find yourself really being assaulted by the adversary, then the text teaches us that the enemy doesn't try to kill you until you're close to completion. Read the text, and I'm done. Nehemiah says, now when it was reported to Samballat, Tobiah, and to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and no breach remained in it, here it is, although at that time I had not set up the doors in the gate. He was almost done, God help me, but he wasn't finished. Satan is attacking him, God help me, because he's close. And some of us need to understand that the reason why you're facing so much adversity to your purpose is because you're close to the manifestation of your purpose. God, help me. Oh, God, you've been wondering, you've been wondering why the devil is fighting you. God, I feel like preaching. Now, you've been wondering why the devil is coming against you. You've been wondering why you've had to fight so hard and for so long and why so many things have been happening in your life. You've been wondering why you've had to go through like you've had to go through. But God says the reason why the devil is attacking you is because he knows something about your future that you don't even know yourself. You're almost there. God, help me. I wish, I wish I had somebody in the building that would shout about the fact that you're almost there. That, that, that God is trying to get you to see that you can't quit this close to the finish line. And the problem with us is we don't understand that frustration mounts when we're almost to the finish line. Yeah, frustration mounts when we're almost to the place where God is trying to take us. As a matter of fact, many of us who are serving God and trying to follow him are not complaining about present problems. We're complaining about leftovers. You're complaining about a season that God brought you out of as if you're still in the season that God brought you out of. You got leftover hurt, God help me. You got leftover pain. You, you got leftover frustration. Not because you're still dealing with it, but because you didn't have the courage to confront it and have a conversation about it when you were in it. God help me. Okay, uh, uh, any husbands in the house? Put your hands up, husbands. Husband, put your hand up. Okay, yeah, if you're a husband, uh, you understand this like me. Um, uh, the worst fights are not the fights where you say what's on your mind. Yeah, uh, the worst fights are the fights where you try to pull it together and do what Peter said and don't speak harshly to your wife that your prayers be not hindered. Uh, but she's still talking harshly to you while you talking, trying not to talk harshly to her. So then when the argument is over and there's peace, you sitting in the living room by yourself while she's sleep thinking about all the stuff you could have said. But the fight is over, she's at peace. But you fighting and mad in your mind over leftover hurt, okay. Uh, leftover pain. Because you feel like you didn't say what needed to be said or addressed what needed to be addressed while you were hurting. So now you're sitting up there mad about all the stuff you should have said. When you don't understand that you can't hit rewind on life, all you can do is press play. Yeah, yeah. You cannot live backwards. You got to live forward. But while you live forward, you understand backwards. 
Meaning that if I look back over my life, I learned the lesson from my past, but I can't go back and start the argument. And I'll be honest again, I'll tell on myself so that y'all don't think when you see this I'm talking about you. I've restarted arguments that were over because I spent too much time thinking about what I should have said when I had the chance. And so now I create new frustration when the old frustration has already been handled because I was too immature in the moment to find the right way to say and address what needed to be addressed. Oh God, and so what happens is you'll mess up what you're getting ready to walk into because you can't step out of what God is trying to pull you away from. God help me. Some of us are stuck, God help me, and can't go across the finish line because we're rehearsing past pain. But God wants you to see you're not even there anymore. And I'm trying to take you to a new place. Oh, yeah, he's, he's fighting you because he wants to frustrate you. Because he knows how close you are. To the finish line. I, I don't know where my band went, but I guess I'll close it by myself. Uh, uh, I was thinking about uh, Chris, how we're going to close this message. And uh, before, you know, a few, few weeks ago, months ago, it wasn't really an issue here. Uh, wasn't really an issue here um, because, in my opinion, there is only one great fraternity in the United States. And their leaders, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity is incorporated. Amen. I got a witness in the back. Uh, yeah. I, and, and up until a few weeks ago, uh, I was the only person, a part of the fraternity, on the staff of my church. Right? Uh, and so I didn't have to really make it plain about who the best was because, you know, you know we the best. But now I got this alpha walking around here, and it really cracking me up. Now I need to have your minds on this. Uh, who's boss? Uh, he says, well, we're first. And I said, so was Pam. Amen. But God loved Abel. He said, we're first. I said, uh, so was Esau, but God loved Jacob. He said, we're first. I said, so was Adam, but God preferred Jesus. Because it's not about who's first, it's about who's faithful. Amen. And so Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity is the greatest fraternity in the entire world. And while uh, I was going through the initiation process uh, for Kappa Alpha Psi, uh, uh, it was a long and arduous process. By the way, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity is a non-hazing organization. Uh, let me insert that parenthetically. But during my initiation process, uh, I got to the end of my process, Chris, uh, and it was called, check this out, a hell week. Yeah. Uh, and hell week was just what they said it was. It was a week of hell. And it felt like every day it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And so about Wednesday, Jay, of Hell Week, I call my dean and I say, hey, I'm done. 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 I'm, 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 I'm in revival and y'all sweating me. I got to preach to folk and y'all harassing me. I'm through. Can't take it no more. I've been online for eight weeks and I'm tired. And he says, uh, You've been online for eight weeks today? And I said, yeah. Don't even include all the stupid stuff you had us doing before we actually started. I'm done. My dean says, uh, you've been online for eight weeks today. I said, yes, sir. Big brother, sir. Been online for eight weeks, one hour, 14 minutes, and 53 seconds. Uh, he says, one hour, 14 minutes? I said, yes, sir. 
He said, it would behoove you in spite of your frustration to show up tonight. I said, I don't want to show up tonight. I told you, hell week has been hell and I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. I'm not going back. He says, show up tonight. So I show up that night out of obedience, even though in my heart I said, I'm done. The frustration is too much. The pain is too much. I'm tired of Negro, tired of doing all the stuff that I was doing. And to me, it got to a place where I didn't feel like I felt when I started. I was excited to be online chapel searching to find this guy. I was glad when I started. But by the time I got done, I wasn't happy anymore. And I wanted to quit. I wanted to drop. And I wasn't the only one that dropped. We started with nine. I finished with five. So I would have been in good company if I had quit when I felt like quitting. But I showed up that night in spite of my frustration. And when I showed up that night, it was something different about this night. Uh, I pledged in Nebraska, by the way, I know y'all in Florida, but in Nebraska we had a thing called basements. And uh, typically we'd show up at the frat house and we'd go down into the basement. But today, when we got ready to go to the basement, they said, don't go to the basement. Go to the backyard. I go to the backyard, Luke, and in the backyard they got all these tiki torches lining the grass. And uh, the tiki torches are lining in the grass, and uh, they singing songs. You know, I can't sing them here, but they singing songs that I had only heard in my faintest dream. Uh, then this is what let me know something different was about to happen. There was sand on the ground. Then they took a match and threw it in the sand, and the sand lit on fire. Uh, they said, take your shoes off. I said, uh, what do you mean, take my shoes off? They said, take your shoes off right now. I take my shoes off, and they tell me to grab arms with my line brother, and I walk across these sands that are on fire, when my feet hit the other end of the sand, they whisper something in my ear to let me know that the process that had caused me pain had just been completed. God, help me. Uh, that the thing that I was about to quit earlier in the day, at eight minutes, one hour, or eight minutes, or eight hours, one minute and 14 seconds, now at eight, eight hours, Eight minutes, 48 seconds uh, was finally over. God, help me. Uh, I crossed the burning sand, and my dean looked at me. He says, are you glad you saved? And I said, yes, sir, I'm glad I saved. He said, are you still hurting? I said, yes, sir, but it's not that bad anymore because I was looking at the pain like I was going to be in the pain forever. God, help me. Uh, but he said, the intensity of your hell week, God, help me should let you know that you're close to the finish line. God, help me. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but God told me to tell you that the reason why you're going through your own personal hell week, hell month, hell 2020, hell 2021, is not because God wants to frustrate you into failure, but it's because the devil understands that you're almost there. God, help me. Uh, do me a favor now, God. I feel like preaching. Do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm almost there. God, help me. Oh, God, look at him and say, neighbor, I know it's hard. God, help me. Tell him. Say, neighbor, I know it's hard. 
hard. Say, neighbor, I know you feel like giving up. Neighbor, I know you feel like walking away. But God told me to tell you, God help me, that the reason why you're going through is because you're almost there. Do me a favor now and tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor, I feel like having church now. I know you want to give up, but you're almost there. I know they walked away from you, but you're almost there. I know you feel like throwing in the towel, but you're almost there. And God told me to tell you that you might have to cry some tears now. You might have to shed some tears in the midnight hour. But the word of the Lord is weeping may endure for a night. But if you can just hang on until the morning time, you'll find out that joy comes in the morning. Yank those drawbars out. Let's have church now. Tell somebody, say, neighbor, I'm almost to the finish line. And I know I want to give up. But the word of the Lord is, I'm almost there. You want to give up. You feel like you're running out of strength. But I dare you to declare by faith, like the songwriter said, I don't feel no ways tired. I come too far from where I started from. Do I have a witness here that can testify that I come too far? from being depressed. I've come too far from giving in anxiety. I've come too far from being broke, from being frustrated, from being in sin. And I can't go back now. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. But I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. I wish I had a voice, honey, so I could preach it like I want to. But since I can't preach it like I feel it, help me preach now and tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, before you let go, remember that you're almost there. Say, neighbor, before you leave, remember that you're almost there. I have not seen ears, I have not heard, neither have it entered into the hearts of men the things that the Lord has in store for them that love him, but he's revealed it to us by his spirit. Is there anybody here? God, I feel like preaching. I, I said, is there anybody here? I said, is there anybody here in the building today that can praise him because he brought you this far? And if he brought you this far, he's going to carry you the rest of the way. Tell your neighbors, say, I can't come down. I got to stay on the wall. I feel like giving up, but I can't come now. My money is funny, but I can't come now. Can't sleep at night, but I can't come down. Sickness in my body, pain in my mind, but I can't come down. Don't know how I'm going to make it, but I can't come down. And God said,
says, if you stay faithful, if you feel like giving up, he's going to give you strength and he's going to give you power. You might feel like you can't take it anymore. You might feel like you can't do it anymore. You might feel like you're weak and you don't have any power. But the word of the Lord is he gives power to the weak and to those that have no might. He increases his strength. Even the youth will faint and be weary and the young men will utterly fall. But they that wait upon the law shall renew all of their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is there anybody here who can testify? I believe I'll run on and see what the end is going to be because I believe with pain in my heart. I believe with sickness in my body. I believe with frustration in my mind and with my hurt feelings with leaders who don't understand. I still believe that serving God will pay off after a while. Is there anybody here who believes that serving God will pay off after a while? Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap a harvest if you faint not, if you believe it. Open up your mouth and say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Yes. I dare you to praise him. Praise him like you believe it's going to work out. Praise him like you believe it's going to pay off. Praise him with your car trouble, with your repossession. Praise him with your eviction notice. Praise him when your money is funny. Praise him with your heart trouble. Praise him. Praise him. Somebody, if you're not too mean, 
We got to get out of here now. My time is up. But find somebody in the midst of COVID-19 and tell them, say, neighbor, I know it's been rough. Look at them now. You ain't looking at nobody. Look at them now and say, neighbor, it's been rough. Say, neighbor, it's been tough. But tell them, neighbor, I still believe that it's going to work out in the end. Sooner or later, it's turning, it's turning, it's turning. Thank you.